Hello, hello, everybody, and welcome to our pastor's podcast called You Asked. Here in the room with us today are pastors Chris and Eddie, and I'm Pastor Justin. We're going over a question that was actually texted in two weeks ago. Uh, we were unable to film the podcast last week. And so the question is this. it was uh, The term social justice was referenced, Pastor Chris, in your introduction. Could you please clarify the definition of so- social justice? Is this different than the response of justice and mercy brought on by the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer as we are being made holy? So obviously it's a very loaded topic. Um, a lot of voices in evangelicalism weighing in on it. Um, Pastor Chris, maybe you want to set a little bit of context based on what you had said in the sermon, and then we can explore the topic a bit more. Yeah, the 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 term used, so in the sermon the week before that, when I was dealing with Hebrews 13.3, I did not use that term. When I got to Hebrews 13.4, the next week I did use the term, so I can understand why it's confusing people. I didn't use it the week before when I dealt with the verse. I did it purposefully to get a response out of it. So it was actually, it wasn't an accident. I did say it quite a few times actually, so it was on purpose. And the reason I was trying to make that contrast was if you go to Hebrews 13, three, um, it speaks about remembering those in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated. So there's a sense there of caring for the prisoners. We talked about that cultural context that they were prisoners back then were completely and utterly dependent upon relatives, friends, family, and specifically the local church to care for them. They got thrown in a prison cell, no food, no water, no clothing, nothing. Um, and so um, we even talked about that a lot of, a lot of uh, church history documents will tell you that even at the prisons where in the mornings there'd be widows and orphans waiting at the prisons uh, for the church to show up because they knew that's where they'd find them. The church would be at the prison. They'd be caring for them. And that's what they were doing. They were caring about those, not necessarily those who were necessarily Christians, that's why it says in Hebrews 13, 3 about since you also are in the body. And the idea there is that you project your humanity on them. You see them as a fellow human being made in the image of God. And you seek to care for them because you are also in the body. You're also human. And so, um, so we talked about that. And when I got to verse 4, verse 4 gets into let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage may be undefiled. And so we're talking about the contrast, culturally speaking. Like, do you imagine... In Christianity, there couldn't be two more different uh, flags to fly, right? you got the one side over here of going and caring for people in prison, people, and we can project that into our culture. Anybody who's in need, you could say the homeless, you could say the, the, the orphan, the widow, you could say the immigrant, you could see all those categories fit, verse 3. That's one flag that the church can fly, that churches do fly, but they don't normally hold also to the other flag, which is, let marriage be held among all, and let it be uh, held among, in terms of here, the sexually immoral adulterous, uh, to not, God will judge them. And so there's, here's a sense of sexual purity, one flag being planted, and a sense of, I call it social justice on the other, of caring for the broken and the hurt and the outcast. Those two flags normally aren't flied in the church together. You usually have the liberal church, quote-unquote, carrying the flag of, hey, we're going we're gonna to care about social issues and people who are in who are ostracized and marginalized. And you have the conservative church typically, like we're gonna, we're gonna advocate for sexual purity uh, and, and God, hey, God will judge the adulteress and this is, serious, this is serious business. Those don't usually get flown together. And I was trying to make the contrast and make people see like, wow, these are two, in our culture, usually have two different groups of people carrying these flags and God wants us to hold both of them. Um, and that's, that's the uniqueness of, of uh, the gospel call on our lives as a church. 
So anyway, that's what that's the context. That's where it's coming from. Um, that's why why I kind of said that. So yeah, and there's um, as you said, there's there's the kind of differing understandings of what that might mean. Um, you look at um, conservative and faithful voices in evangelicalism. So John MacArthur has said the following. Social justice entails political ideas that are deemed sophisticated, namely identity politics, critical race theory, the redistribution of wealth, and other radical or socialist policies, which understandably turns it in kind of a lightning rod kind of uh, term. Yet, nevertheless, at the same time, you have other faithful conservative evangelical voices um, communicating a very different kind of definition of social justice. Uh, Kevin DeYoung has defined it, social justice, as, quote, treating people equitably, working for systems and structures that are, systems and structures that are fair, and looking out for the weak and vulnerable. So it's tough at times to make sense of those and what is social justice actually. You're looking at what, how does the Bible define the term, if indeed it does. How does the world define it? How do you kind of navigate those, yeah, those word, differing views Well, there? the word social justice is not in the Bible, right? So we're, we're trying to add a definition to a cultural term that we use today that many people define it differently, as was just quoted. <laughs> Even within conservative evangelicalism, the term is defined differently. So um, when I speak of it, as we just talked about, pretty much exactly what Kevin DeYoung would say would be how I would define the term. Now, I understand people would define it differently, and they're free to do that because it's, it's non-definitive. It's not in Scripture. That word is not... So that's how I would define it, as, uh, as the young did, um, in terms of, of caring for the vulnerable and the hurt. Um, I think if you go to Jeremiah 29, 7, about seeking the peace of the city that you're in, God's call to the people in Jeremiah's day, um, that word seeking the peace, we talked about it last Sunday, is the idea of wholeness or completeness. It's things operating the way they're supposed to. So physical shalom would be when your body's operating all together. Social shalom is what Jeremiah 29 is getting at would be when society is operating like it should. When people are deferring and, and preferring others before themselves and people are looking out for the vulnerable and the hurting and the broken. And that's how society is supposed to function. That's how Christians are supposed to function. So when I speak of social justice, that, that's the element we're going after. We're functioning as God created us to look after our fellow man, to look after the vulnerable and the hurting. You can see Jesus throughout the Gospels constantly looking after those who have been marginalized. We can maybe use the word disenfranchised. They pushed, you know, pushed to the margins of society. Um, and so those are people that we need to have a particular eye on and need to be looking out for as Christians. And that's why that's what verse 3 of Hebrews 13 is talking about. Looking for those who are on the marginal, margin of society who either can't care for themselves or are broken and hurt and in a vulnerable position. We need to look out for them. This was really compelling for me in reading Generous Justice. When, and a quote that Tim Keller has in that is, he says, Usually those who have justification don't have justice, and those who have justice don't have justification. When in reality, those who have justification are the only ones who know true justice. And in there, he does this kind of wonderful job of connecting the ideas of justification and justice that because we've been justified by Jesus Christ we are the best to truly carry out justice to be able to see people for how God sees them in, in his image um, and in particular kind of what you're talking about that caring for the vulnerable caring for those who 
you need it the most. Uh, and I think what's important there is to connect the two, right? Probably where social justice kind of gets off the rails on the little more liberal side of things in Christianity is when we try and separate justification out of justice and say, we're just going to do good things for good people because that's what we do. But truly, you know, the heart and the purpose behind being full of justice is to make Christ known so that people can see the true heart of Christianity, which is eternal justification, not just temporary justice. And I would say, I would say also we're advocating here for the, the true good of the other person. When I say the true good, what I mean by that is what is, what is good for them as prescribed in Scripture, right? right. Um, if we don't add that part of it, that, that we're doing good. So you could say well, we're going to do good for everybody, period. Well, how do you define good? Right? You say, well, good for me is I get to, you know, I, I should be able to sleep with my boyfriend, girlfriend, or whatever else, right? Or, you know, um, you know, homosexuality, well, we should have, you know, be able to marry each other because, hey, that's, that's what's good for us. It's like, well, no, we have to define, we talk about doing good for others. That good needs to be always defined within what Scripture says is good. So when we say social justice, we're looking to do what's just and good, truly good for the other person. Um, which may not always be how they define it. So that's why we have to pull out the ideologies, the mm-hmm. secular ideologies or the, you know, the politics of the whole word that kind of get you know, hung in there. Um, we're avoiding that, that part. And we're looking for the true good of the whole person, not just, well, let me, let me beat them over the head with the Bible and show them justification, then I'll show them justice. And it's like, no, sometimes you need to demonstrate justice so that they can know of their spirit, the spiritual need for justice and justice. Yeah, and the good is always asking, you know, as Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. What What is actually loving for this person, mm-hmm. truly loving for this person? It may be, you know, not giving a person $5 in cash because they're an addict and they ask for $5 in cash. You're like, well, I want to be loving, I want to give it to them. Right. That may not be just, actually. That may be damaging and harmful because right. they're going to use that to go get, you know, more drugs or whatever. Pretty cheap drugs, I guess, is five bucks. But, um, but you know what I'm saying. But that's the idea. We need to be do what is most loving and good for that person, looking out for them. In this context, again, Hebrews 13, they were looking out for prisoners. So they were looking for those. They weren't asking whether they were in prison rightfully or wrongfully. They weren't asking what, what did they do to get themselves here. They're simply looking after the hum, human needs of those people in prison. And as a result of that, history will tell us, you can go to Rodney Stark's book on the rise of Christianity and see that the result of doing this kind of work um, actually began to um, see the gospel spread because of that. So it was both caring for Christians who were arrested you know, illegally and thrown in for their faith, but also caring for those who were put there because, you know what, they did violate yeah. Roman laws, and they legitimately should be put in there because they were a threat to humanity. But the church didn't say, well, we're not going to care for them because they're there, they deserve it. Like, we're going to care for them still. Well, and I think that's an important thing to see is that the spread, it's not just the spread of the gospel. That happens, but when the gospel spreads, it changes society. Right. You know, the, the uniqueness of Christianity, the gospel of Jesus, is it has the ability and has penetrated any classification of culture. No other religion can say that. And it, uh, when it goes in, it has the unique ability of not removing the old styles of culture and importing a new one, it has a way of transforming that current culture and making it better than it was before. No other 
religion, you know, movement is able to say that. It always removes, totally changes, comes in by force, but where true gospel conversion in Christianity comes in and um, redeems and changes society for the better, and the gospel goes yeah, forward, and people many, know Jesus. Many hospitals were started right. by Christians, many orphanages were started by Christians, right? All these things were started by Christians because because of their commitment to Christ and because of the gospel, right? And it transforms society. So some would hear what you guys are saying about, I need to do what is good, what is just for the person, and and would respond with something along the lines of, if I give them a better environment here on this earth, but I don't give them the gospel, then I'm just giving them a more comfortable road to hell, and I'm not actually doing what's good for them. I'm not in the eternal sense, actually helping them. Uh, so, so how would you respond to that in a sense of, is it appropriate to feed someone a meal without sharing the gospel with them? Absolutely. Is it, um, kind of tease out how, how yeah. you, how you work well, through that, that question. I think there's that there's many non vocal presentations, quote unquote, of the gospel that Jesus advocates for. When Jesus said in John 13, they'll know you by your love for one another. That's not, that's not them saying they'll know you by you telling them about me. They'll know you by your love for one another. So there's a sense of demonstrating the gospel through their actions and even care for one another. When Jesus called his disciples to be a city on a hill, um, that was to have a city on a hill back then. Was that you know, Obviously, it was very difficult to build a city on a hill. If you did, the light would be seen from far off, not because there was you know one giant light pole in the middle of the city. It's because each house had a candle in their windows. And collectively, they lit up to be a light, right? So when he says he lighted the city, he's speaking about being a community of people that actually, you know, demonstrate that together. And so being salt of the earth, what is that? That was, preserve, that was a means of staying back decay before the age of refrigeration, right? It was a means of being, having salt on meat was a way of preserving it and make it last longer before he cooked it. So when he said be salt of the earth, it was go in, stay back some of the decay. Put your, your gifts, your talents, your abilities into the culture in a way of affecting it uh, in a positive way to help stay back the decay that sin has caused on the brokenness of society. So, yeah, there's a big part of what we do as Christians um, that involves our actions and activities into the culture that benefits the culture and benefits the life livelihood of people that is good. That doesn't require us to say, oh, yeah, and Jesus died for your sins every time we, every time we do something. On the opposite side, it doesn't mean we go mute and decide, you know what, we're just going to never say anything anymore. Jesus will just save everybody and, you know, kind of extreme hyper-Calvinism type thing. Um, no, we need to speak the gospel in situations. Or an extreme, or an extreme liberal view of social sure. justice there right. as well. You, you could see that on, on both sides. Yep. I think it's important to see Jesus did both. He did. Right? Luke 5, the leper comes to him, he heals the leper, and he walks away. He doesn't... Oh, by the way, you should have faith in me. Do you see, you know, the pool of Bethesda in John 5? He does address the spiritual need right along with the physical. There's times where he just deals with the physical um, and isn't as concerned about getting to the spiritual right away. Now, a lot of times in those cases, what happens is because he dealt with the physical, later on that person comes back around and goes, Wait, why were you so so good to me? Why did you, you know, take care of me when nobody else would? And it becomes a more compelling argument, but it's not the, you know, we're not constantly looking for the 
Jesus gotcha moment through all of these. Yeah, so you guys said some things there that will definitely be tripping red flags in people's minds as they listen. Um, I think at some point a statement was made, Jesus advocates um, for non-verbal presentations of the gospel. Um, which I, Jesus I, even told sometimes people when he healed them said, hey, don't tell anybody. Be quiet. Don't tell anybody. You did. I did this for you. So, so, so then the question is, is that a presentation of the gospel or is it a demonstration of the gospel? Well, yeah, present, presentation requires words, yes. So, yes, it's not presentation. It's a demonstration. Yes. Okay. But like he said, you know, Acts 10, um, 38, God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit with power and about doing good and healing all who were oppressed, for God was with them. And, next verse, because of him going to all, going, being a witness to all the Jews in, in Jerusalem, right? So he did, he did both. He both did good and spoke of of what he came to do, right? And you can you can see this throughout the Gospels. So it's not a either or; it's a both and. You need both, and because you can't also get a soapbox out there and stand on the corner and just preach. Right. You know, Jesus is here to save you from your sins, and that's all you ever do. You have to have some action to back up what you're saying. You know, again, people are going to, in our culture nowadays, are going to read us more than they're going to read the Bible anyway. So, right. I mean, they, we need to know, we need to have both. Yeah, and it doesn't always come as a, like a, we want to think of it as a one-two punch. Okay, I'll, I'll give the, the, the demonstration of the gospel, and then immediately i got to come right back in and follow it up with the presentation of the gospel. A, a lot of time, there is time in between both of those. You don't want to and be a bait okay. switch either. Right. You bait switch the guy. I mean, that, then it makes the gospel look like a, a, it looks a fake. product that yeah, you're trying to sell. Authentic. You know, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm like buying windows here. Yeah. You I'm only helped me because tires. you want. Yeah. Yeah. So it, you got to be careful of that because it becomes like, oh, you just want to notch on your belt for like another uh, another win. I remember a story that uh, Tim Keller gave one time about one of the guys in his church. It was, uh, he was a boss, worked in his company. And um, and he had uh, he had an employee who kind of had done some things that he shouldn't have done was probably fireable um, you know the boss the, his boss took the rap for him to his boss and said hey you know what it's my responsibility you know punish me for that and he got you know basically two weeks without pay the other guy kept his job when he came back to work the guy asked him and said said hey what why would you you knew it was me like why did you do that for me. Which then, in case he did, said, "Well, I mean, that's just what Jesus did for me. Like he took my punishment. So he 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 was he didn't do that so that he would have the opportunity to speak to him. Obviously, God opened that door, and he was able to do that. But he he was demonstrating the gospel, which in turn all opened the opportunity to right. present it. But it wasn't a goal of like going like I'm gonna make sure I'm gonna do this so I can tell him. You know, it was just doing what God had called him to do and living out the gospel." Famous quote attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, probably wasn't him. Was, was not him that said this. Every church historian says it's really not him. Yeah. Yes. Um, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use, use words. words. Mm-hmm. Uh, interact with that for us. Go ahead. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, again, I hear that and go like, yeah, sure. All right. Well, well, so, I mean, so, I wouldn't say that's necessarily, I mean, it's again going back to maybe a little bit of Maybe being a little bit um, 
nitpicky on some of the wording here, but I mean, you're not really preaching the gospel. No, the gospel. The gospel is that word just means good news. News is words. Right. Words have to be spoken. Right. Um, so you can't you can't live out words. You have to actually speak right. words. Um, what I do think you can do is the um, impact or effects of the gospel in your life. That is what is lived out. That is what's demonstrated. That is why you hear so many people come and go, hey, there's something different about you. You know, I heard somebody just share their testimony a couple of weeks ago, and they said, I came to know Jesus because I met a guy, his life, he lived as if he really knew Jesus, and Jesus was a real person. And that, that just became really attractive to me. So I started asking him questions, and that's how I came to know Jesus as my Savior. Well, go back and watch on Vimeo, wherever there are baptism videos are, go watch the last few of them. Yeah. And what you'll hear is young people saying, hey, when I, I, I was around these other students, I was around these people, and they really, you know, they really believed they lived it out. I mean, they, you can hear their stories. They were, they were impacted, first of all, by a demonstration right. of the gospel, which led to a presentation. Um, you just see it all the time. I mean, yeah, my own story. I mean, I before I ever heard the gospel, you know, spoken to me, I saw it demonstrated. I saw the first night I walked into a youth room and these kids cared that I was there. Like that moment earned a, in my in my world, earned me to go like, they earned my ear. That's how I saw it. I'm like, well, if they're, I mean, wow, they're really, they really care. Uh, they really care I exist, right? I mean, this is, this is, I'm curious now why they care, right? So, I mean, that it's in my own story that way. So, that doesn't mean that people can't can't be saved by a sheer presentation of the gospel, right? We have people that can come into church on a Sunday and hear the gospel presented and get saved. Without ever seeing the demonstration. Without ever seeing the demonstration of the person who's preaching, right? So, I mean, it, it, yeah, I'm not saying it's either, it, it, it's, it has to be this this role, this way. Um, it's just like anything. You can, look at, you can look throughout the gospels and acts and you can find guys that converted in very different ways. Paul was, you know, pretty radical. That old Damascus Road, lights come on, whoa. Sometimes you have the guys that, you know, I mean, we have today, like, um, you know, was it First Peter? He speaks about the seed of the gospel, right? And sometimes that, you know, I, I, again, I'll quote Color again, but he talked about the uh, for, former Surgeon General of the United States was going to church at uh, 13th Presbyterian there where James Gilbert Boyce was. His wife dragged him to church for a year straight. You know, he wasn't a believer, and he went because, okay, whatever, he sat in the back. After a year, one day he came to his wife and goes, you know, honey, I think I believe this. And she goes, I know, I've seen a difference in you. And she goes, and he, and she goes when did this happen? He goes, I don't know. I, I don't know when, I just, I just believe it, but I don't know when exactly, and this is when we, you know, Keller talks about, like, justification or regeneration is a moment in time. But it's not always a conscious moment, right? And I know that, that really goes against the whole Baptist, like, I need to make sure I sign a card and raise my hand. I know what point in time. But if you talk about the gospel as a seed, a seed germinates, comes alive underground, and it sprouts up, and you see life, and you're like, whoa, it's, it's alive. What's been alive before that? When did it germinate? Uh, I mean, we didn't see it, right? So I think there is an unconscious moment sometimes for people, too, um, that happens. So we've gone down a lot of rabbit trails. Yeah. <laughs> Helpful discussion there. Um, books that were referenced, Pastor Eddie, you mentioned Generous Justice by Tim Keller. Pastor Chris, you mentioned The Rise of Christianity by Rodney Stark. Any others come to mind that you would want to point people to on this topic? I think you and I talked about the book yesterday, but I think Culture Making by Alexander, uh, Alexander Strauss. Andy Strauss. 
Andy Crouch. Crouch. Yes, Andy Crouch is good. He talks about some of these things, the history of Christianity, development of it, culturally how it impacted culture. I think we made good. We talk about the social justice issue. There's some helpful stuff there. Um, Mark Devers' little book, The Gospel and Personal Evangelism, he just does a wonderful job of like, okay, how then do you come in and share in an appropriate way through the relationship? So he helps you navigate the building of the relationship and then looking for those opportunities to actually speak the gospel. And from, I would say, um, there's an old one from the 70s here, Richard Loveless, uh, The Dynamics of Spirituality, I think, or Dynamics of Christianity. I think Dynamics of Spirituality is what it's called. He, he goes into a lot of the how we got to the whole liberal conservative divide in Christianity and why some plant this flag and some plant this. When I was talking earlier about the plants, plants, the flags being planted, that's a lot of Richard Loveless kind of stuff. He talks about the Delta effect of culture in the church and everyone's got their specialties and it's really good to kind of lay out how we got to today with these kind of divided church where there's the liberal side, the conservative side, where it came from. So that may be helpful. Certainly. A lot of good stuff there. Um, check out some of those books. Obviously, feel free to continue to, to follow up with further questions as you have them. Uh, but we do hope this conversation has been helpful for everyone listening. You can always reach out to one of the pastors if you have further questions. Or, of course, at the end of the sermon, you can text in questions. You have been listening to You Asked. <laughs>